So this morning I'm going to invite you to turn to a different passage in your Bibles than what's written down in the, uh, in the program. Uh, but let me remind us as we begin, uh, this fall we're, we're doing a series called Follow Me and we're looking at what does it really mean to follow Jesus in very specific areas of our lives. Our theme verse uh, for this fall is Luke 6.40 where Jesus is speaking and he says that the disciple is not above his teacher but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. So what does it mean for you and I to grow in our likeness of Christ? What does it mean for us to follow him and actually become more like him? Uh, so I was working on my sermons, and I typically work on them, kind of outline them several months in advance. And so this morning I was intending on doing a sermon on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and I may come back to it, and I may uh, begin to work through that. But recently there are a couple of experiences I've had that just kind of made me think about a different passage of Scripture when I was thinking about this morning. So I was just kind of rolling around in my mind. It was nothing, I hadn't really changed any plans. And about eight days ago or so, I was having a conversation with a person and we were talking and the thought that was going through my mind, which I, I did not articulate to the person, was I'm better than this guy. And the second that thought popped into my head, Fortunately for me, the Holy Spirit of God convicted me immediately and it was like, how dare you think you're better than someone else? Do you really not understand the depth that God had to go to to save you from the sins that you have committed? So I had that experience rolling around in my head and I've had a couple of conversations or I've heard a couple of conversations recently that have kind of led me to think that there may be just a tiny bit of uh, pride or, or perhaps smugness uh, that's creeping into our community. It certainly isn't rampant. It certainly isn't uh, a crisis, but uh, I'm kind of playing a little Barney Fife this morning. You know, he's always telling Andy, you got to nip it in the bud, Andy. Let's just nip it in the bud right away. So I think that this passage may help with that. And, and at, at the end of the day, I might be wrong, but as I, as I was thinking about this and praying about this, I had this conversation with one of our ministry leaders, volunteers, on Thursday morning in the kitchen, just and humanly speaking, happenstance, they were just in there and I happened to walk in. But she said something to me that went, yep, this is what I'm supposed to do. So I've had a day and a half to prepare this. You're going to get what, what you get this morning. And our coffee machine broke, so you don't even have coffee to help you keep awake. But I, I, I genuinely believe that this is what uh, we're supposed to consider this morning. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 and we're going to look at verses 9 through 14. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, if not, you can follow along on the screen. Hear the word of God. Jesus is teaching. And it says, he, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who exalts himself, uh, humbles himself will be exalted. 
This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we live in a world uh, that is filled with pride on a lot of different levels. Father, we ourselves uh, certainly can run down the pathway of self-righteousness, of, of thinking that uh, perhaps we are, we are better than others or we deserve better things because of choices we have made or ways that we've tried to live and we focus uh, on the good while ignoring the evil that's in our hearts. So Lord, I, I pray for us individually as disciples, I pray for us as a community of believers that you would protect us from our pride, that you would, you would shine a laser on it, you would show us each individually where this could be a struggle for us and that we would confess it. Uh, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see uh, what you are teaching us this morning. Father, we don't want to hear my words, we want to hear and we need to hear the word of God. So we pray for that this morning. I pray that you would forgive my sin. Please don't let me be a hindrance to what you want to teach us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's jump right in here. Uh, The sermon in a sentence is pretty straightforward. Uh, Looking at Green Tree Community Church as a community of Jesus' followers. So we, we claim to be disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. As a community of Jesus' followers, we will only be as healthy as we are humble. I'm talking about spiritual health there. We will only be as spiritually healthy uh, as we are spiritually humble. So Jesus tells uh, an anecdote. Jesus tells a story. You hear about the two guys who went up to the temple to pray. Nothing unusual about that. Two guys going to church to spend some time praying. Very, very normal set of circumstances. But it goes a little crazy after that. It goes in a couple uh, very radically different directions. And so we want to we look at, at the apparent prayer of the first one, and then we want to look at the prayer of the second one and do a little bit of comparing uh, and ask where we see ourselves in this story and how can we prayerfully move in the right direction. I have three observations about this text, and I want to move through those relatively quickly in Tom Ricks's style of relatively quickly, uh, because I want to have some time uh, towards the latter half of the sermon to talk application. So let's jump in. Verse 9 uh, starts off with an explanation of the parable. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. A lot of the parables that you read, if you read through the Gospels and you come across the parables, a lot of them simply say, and Jesus told them this parable, and it rolls right in to that particular story. Occasionally, and this is one of those occasions, where we actually get an understanding as to what was behind Jesus' thinking. What's behind Jesus' thinking here is the understanding that the relational outcome of self-righteousness is destruction. Whether it's your relationship with God or your relationship with one another, self-righteousness has a destructive power on those relationships. Think about it in these terms. Self-righteousness is not practiced in a neutral setting. If you're a self-righteous person or if I have self-righteous behavior in my life, it, it comes out when I'm around you guys. And yours comes out when you're around me and one another, your family, your neighbors, your friends, your classmates at school. And it does not happen in a vacuum, but it always leads to some fracturing of the community. Look at the language that Luke uses here. They looked at others with contempt. 
Have you ever said to a person, faith, I'm not talking about send them, you know, mean text or email where they're not looking. Have you ever looked someone in the eye and said, you are contemptible to me? I'm trying to think if I've ever said that to a person. That's an incredibly powerful word to use. And yet Jesus is, Luke is describing these folks' attitude towards others because they were so sure of their own righteousness. Now, You have to remember in the Bible that when we speak of righteousness, when the Bible speaks of righteousness, fundamentally it's talking about your relationship with God, the vertical. And so what these folks are assuming is this. This guy's assuming, I'm a good guy. And we'll find out all the stuff he doesn't do and and does do in just a couple minutes. He's like, I'm a really good guy. So this relationship is in great shape. But then he looks around and because that's actually false, that attitude bleeds out onto others, and he's hurtful and destructive towards others, as we will see in just a few moments. The relational outcome of self-righteousness is always harmful. Second observation of this text is that the, the, this first guy who's praying, this Pharisee, is on the wrong road altogether. Look at verses 11 and 12. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Let's look at what Leon Morris, the theologian Leon Morris, said about this particular prayer. His trouble was not that he was not far enough along the road, but that he was on the wrong road altogether. Notice the focus of this prayer. Starts out pretty well. It starts out God. (laughs) But he simply is saying God to use that as a platform to talk about himself. Uh, If you've ever prayed with someone, whether it's little children around the table or you've been in a prayer meeting or or perhaps in worship where, where you've been praying, typically when someone prays, they start off the Lord or God or Father or Jesus. But then typically throughout the prayer, they'll come back to that. You know, Lord, please help us today as we, you know, think about the challenges that are before us. Jesus, please give us wisdom. You kind of come back to the one to whom you're speaking. This guy's talking to himself. Like, God, let me, let me tell you how great I am. So the, the, the focus isn't God. The focus is actually himself. I've tried to underline it. I don't know if you can see it very well, but five times in these two little sentences, He talks about himself. So I said the final score is Pharisee 5, God 1. He's on the wrong road because what is he doing? He's he's looking at his righteousness as a comparison to other people. He says, I thank you that I am not like other men. Well, what's behind that claim? Is that accurate? Can he actually say that? Is he better than you and me? Is he better than the folks that he lived around in his day and age? Well, he describes to us what he doesn't do. He said, I don't extort money. I don't forcefully uh, connive people into giving me money. Uh, I'm not unjust. I'm not unfair. I'm a fair-minded guy. Now, as a Pharisee, he probably sat on some judicial court somewhere. He probably rendered some judgments. That was probably part of his responsibilities. He's like, I'm I'm totally fair and even-handed when I do these things. And I'm certainly not an adulterer. I'm I'm not unfaithful to my spouse. I My guess is he ignored Jesus' teaching that said, if you look at a person uh, with lecherous thoughts in your mind, you've already committed adultery. I'm guessing he ignored that, but he's claiming to be completely faithful. And then he notices this guy kind of standing over there in the corner. He says, and I'm certainly not like that guy. I am not a criminal 
betrayer of my country. Now, I, I've been trying to think about this this week. I don't know if I have any friends that work for the IRS. I might, but I can't think of anybody. Do you work for the IRS? Okay. I have one, I have one person that works for the IRS. I want to tell you I don't hate you. I, 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 and I want to tell you I understand that the IRS is necessary for the, the, the well-being of our country. But it doesn't mean I always love writing the check. But there's a long way from that to, to hating someone. In, in this context, so you are not a betrayer of your country. You are a faithful servant of your country. You, you love your country. You're doing something positive and something good. This guy was working with the enemy. This guy was working for the Romans who occupied the nation of Israel. He was working with the very people who were oppressing his kin, his folks. And he was making himself rich off of, off of his people's suffering. Do you remember the name John Walker Lynn from the early 2000s? John Walker Lynn was captured in Afghanistan by U.S. forces as he fought against the United States and with the Taliban. He was born and raised in the United States of America. He was brought back to the United States. He was not treated as a POW. He was treated as someone who had committed treason. And if you went to school, high school at John Walker Lynn, you probably weren't jumping up and down and sharing that information with other people. You didn't want to get too close to a traitor. And so this Pharisee looks at a guy who really is not making good decisions and says, and absolutely, I don't do that. I am not like that person. But they can't stop there. We've got to also hear about the great things that he's doing, and he mentions two of them. The first is this, I fast twice a week. Now, in the Jewish law in that day, the, the call to fast uh, for men was once a week. So what's he saying there? I'm, I'm doubling down. If the average person fasts once a week, I'm going to do it twice as much. And then he talks about his giving, and he speaks of the tithe. The tithe is giving 10% of what you've been given back to God and the Old Testament law and the New Testament speak of the tithe that's appropriate for us as disciples of Jesus to tithe our income to the Lord. We have a little offering churches in the back. You can give online. We believe very strongly in the, in the tithe here at Green Tree. But notice what he says there. I tithe of all I get. So it's like saying I, I tithe off of the gross. Everything that comes in, I'm tithing all of it. So if last year for my birthday, my Aunt Edna gave me $100, $10 of that cash is going in the offering. I'm not going to chip God out of anything. He's, if I have some, some, some spices growing in my garden, little tiny spices, I'm going to cut off a tenth of those and bring those again as a gift. I, I tithe on everything. He's talking about everything he does. He's talking about what he does. And maybe, perhaps, by comparison with other people, he has room to boast. The problem is he's on the wrong road because the comparison is not between human and human. You can always, I promise you this is true, no matter what bad decisions you've made in your life, no matter, no matter where you, know, you think you are on the scale of sinner or saint, you can always find somebody who's done worse than you. It just, that's, that's, that's just the law of life. Uh, and if you, you don't think that, you, you just look around a little bit. Uh, I, I went out last summer, got on my lawnmower, and went out to cut my grass. I'm going to prove my point to you. Uh, and I got on my mower, and I went out, I started cutting my grass. And here's what happened. And some of you have seen this picture before. Right? Now, have any of you ever blown up your lawnmower in your front yard? So look at that. Right off the bat, you're better than me. 
You didn't even have to stand up, and you're already doing better uh, than I'm doing. I mean, who blows up their lawnmower? It was a perfectly good lawnmower. I have no idea how I blew up my lawnmower, but I was able to do it. I can always find somebody I'm doing a little bit better than, but that is the wrong road. Now, the third observation of this text is not that there's a right road for us to be on. This text says there's only one road possible. In a verse... 13, we see the the other person who's engaged in prayer that day. The tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. T.W. Manson uh, said this about this prayer. He asked for God's mercy because mercy was the only thing he dared ask for. You ought to memorize. That's a great statement. He asked for God's mercy because the only thing he dared ask for, the only thing he saw as possible, he was on the only road to salvation and to a life that is lived in the grace of God and full of the grace of God instead of self-righteousness. When I was in my early mid twenties, uh, we lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, and there's a there's a beautiful area in northwest Georgia, just south of Chattanooga, called the Cahutta Wilderness area. And uh, I used to go out there with friends, and we take high school kids, and we did a lot of backpacking in the Cahutta Wilderness area. It's in the very southwestern tip of the Appalachian Mountains, uh, and there was one particular trail that led to this waterfall that was absolutely just gorgeous, and it had a really deep pool that you could swim in once you got there. And almost every time we we went out to Cahutta, we would, we would make the trek, and you kind of, you got on the pathway, and I can't remember the name of it, but it said, you know, basically it's about a two and a half mile hike, but you had to go around and over a ridge, and then kind of over a mountain and down into it. It took about three hours. It wasn't that long distance-wise, but it took you a while to get there. And so uh, we're putting on our packs, and we're getting ready to go, and we're like, you know what? If we use our compasses, and instead of kind of doing that, we just go over there, and we, for about an hour, we're going to walk right into this pool and we're going to save two hours. How much fun will that be? And so we started off down, down the non-road. There was no road. And we did that for about three hours. <laughs> we might have come within 200 yards of that waterfall, but I, I will never know because we finally said, this could get real serious real fast. We better turn around, shoot another compass point and see if we can't get back to the trail. You know, lest, you know, somebody find us out here three weeks from now crawling around on the dirt. And so we got back to the trail and then we took the only road to the waterfall after wasting about three and a half hours. Friends, there aren't a lot of pathways here that God provides for us to understand his mercy and his grace. There is one road, but it is a glorious road. It is a beautiful road. It is a road that brings us to life because it helps us understand who we are, not by comparison to one another, but in comparison to God. And what does the tax collector cry out as he, as he, as he beats his breast and as he, he, he looks down? He says, be merciful to me, a sinner. There isn't God being mentioned one, one time and him being mentioned five times, he cries out to God once and he acknowledges who he is. He looks down. Now, for us, when we pray, we do look down. We say, hey, everybody, bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to pray. And that's a sign of, of um, adoration. It's a sign of respect to God. But in the Jewish culture in that day, the sign of respect was not to look down, but to look up and to pray to God this way. That was the way to show your respect to God. Uh, so same idea, just a different manifestation. But this guy wouldn't do that. He didn't feel he could even offer his face to heaven. He was so 
consumed by the pain and the guilt of the sin. And so he cries out, not in comparison to other men, but in comparison to a righteous and holy God, be merciful. And he correctly identifies himself as a sinner. A sinner, technically speaking, is a person that doesn't do all the things they could. A sinner is not defined by someone who does evil things, but rather by the person who falls short. So you can maybe have a next door neighbor who's battling the flu and they're under the weather, or maybe someone who's a little bit older and they're infirmed, and you look at their yard this time of year, you go, you know, I could go over and rake that yard. That would probably be a really good thing for me to do for them. But but oh, it's too bad the Cowboys and the and the Redskins are getting ready to play right now. I gotta watch that football game. You don't do what you could. And this man looks at himself and he sees all the places he's failed. And he correctly identifies himself as a person in need of mercy, as a sinner. But the question this morning isn't how does he identify himself. The question this morning is, which prayer best represents my heart? Which prayer best represents your heart? This is important for us individually, and it's important for us as a congregation. Uh, Or as my kids like to say, Dad, this is a big deal. (laughs) need to pay attention to this. Why? Is this a big deal? Two reasons. The first is because of what Jesus says in verse 14. So we've had two men supposedly praying. We have the Pharisee who prays about himself, and we have the tax collector who begs for mercy. And then Jesus offers this editorial comment at the end of the story. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. To be justified means to be reckoned as righteous before God. That's what it means in Scripture. If you are justified before God, it means you are made right with God. You are acquitted of your sins. Now, if you're at all still with me and you're thinking about this and you're relatively new to Christianity, a thought might be crossing your mind right now that goes something like this. Who does Jesus think he is to say who is justified and who isn't justified? That seems pretty judgmental. It seems pretty intolerant in my view. The only person that should have the right to judge people is God himself. That's exactly right. The only person that has the right to judge you There's only one person, none of them are in this room right now. The only person that ultimately has the the, the right and the responsibility, quite frankly, to judge you is God himself. And what Jesus is saying is, I am God in the flesh. When I tell you something, you can take it as from God. So you can read the Bible and say, you know, I'm not sure I agree with that. I, I, I understand that. I appreciate that. But you can't read the Bible and say Jesus didn't say he was God. Jesus absolutely emphatically claimed to be God, which means he claims to have authority over your life and my life. That's why it's a big deal. Because Jesus says, I look at these two guys praying, and guess what? One went home right with God, and the other one didn't. If you read all the words that you could put in the sentence, according to Jesus, it would read something like this. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified by God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled by God, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted by God. The offer here that Jesus is making through the sin of the, uh, the, excuse me, the prayer of the tax collector is to be forgiven, to be put in right relationship with God. It's the most important decision you or I will make in our entire lives. But then it, then it, it goes to live somewhere. It, it moves out from there. 
Think about the, the tone. You can't even really call it a relationship. But think about the tone of the relationship between the Pharisee and the tax collector. Some words that I put to it, and I think they're fairly accurate. Disdain, cold, aloof, dismissive, despised. I, I think those are fairly accurate descriptors of this Pharisee and also of these folks to whom Jesus was speaking. You can't build a friendship on those words. You can't create intimacy and friendship and community based on words like that. So if we claim to be followers of Christ and we get into the bad habit of looking down on others and thinking that our righteousness is self-produced, we're going to end up in a really bad place. We're going to be, end up in a place where community is fragmented where our relationships are pulled apart, where we are not safe to walk with one another and to love one another as Christ has loved us. Spiritual arrogance destroys community. I'm not talking about arrogance outside the church. I'm talking about arrogance inside the church. Spiritual arrogance destroys the community. Uh, A lot of you know I ran for school board last spring. And about 10 days before the election, uh, some folks got on social media and started putting out a lot of stuff about me uh, and pretty much going after me, attacking me. I lost the election. And in the process of that happening, people would come up to me and they would say, you know, you just don't deserve that. I'm, I'm so sorry uh, that people are, you know, kind of spreading, uh, you know, the, these falsehoods about you. And I would thank people for their kindness and for their support. I appreciate it. But there were two things that were fundamentally rolling through my mind. The first one is this. If the people attacking me actually knew what was in my heart, they would realize they hadn't even begun to scratch the surface of the things that are in Tom Ricks' heart that are evil and broken and don't reflect the love of God and his grace to me. And the second thing I thought was, I've been wounded much more deeply by church people than I've ever been wounded by this situation. These people could come to church, not, not Green Tree. I'm not talking about Green Tree right now. But in, in my 38 years of ministry, I've been wounded deeply more deeply than I'm going to go into this morning by people who claim to be followers of Jesus. It's like, if you think these people are hurting me, they, they got nothing on folks who claim to be followers of Christ. I also know it because I've used my words to hurt other people deeply as well. That's who we are when we agree on self-righteousness, that that's going to be our pathway. When we get on that wrong road, we're going to destroy community. Self-righteousness creates an unsafe environment where we become attacked if we confess our sin. It stunts our growth. It harms our brotherhood and our sisterhood. Conversely, what Jesus is saying by giving us the picture of the tax collector's prayer is that godly humility paves the way for partnerships with one another. Mutual care and love are supposed to be the the benchmarks of the church. Think about it this way. What if Jesus said, let me tell you a story about two guys who went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and one was a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood far off and he beat his breast and he hung his head and he said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And standing about 10 feet away from him, a tax collector was standing there with his head down, beating his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Don't you think the story would have ended a little bit differently? Don't you think their heads would have popped up and looked at each other? And they said, well, well, why are you praying that prayer? You know, the Pharisee could have said, you know, because I, I, I can't begin to tell you the evil thoughts I've had towards you. I've been so condescending towards you and mean spirit. I gossip about you when you're not around. And the tax collector, why are, you, why are you hanging your head? Well, truth be told, he'd have to reach in his wall and write him a check and say, because all these years I've been skimming off the top of your tax returns and here's the $5,000 that I've stolen from you. It would have an, a redemptive ending. That's what 
pleading for the mercy of God creates in our hearts and our minds. So the question isn't how did it turn out for these guys. The question is how is it going to turn out for us? How is it going to turn out for you and me as individual disciples and as members of Green Tree Community Church? Are we going to be a people that understand our need for mercy? Are we going to be a people who come to God seeking forgiveness? Or are we going to be a people of God, or people who are arrogant and are self-resourceful and think that we are the end-all, be-all of the Christian community? What would it be like if five years from now or 10 years from now or 15 years from now, Green Tree Community Church collectively embraced this, the notion of godly humility as, as a way to measure our spiritual health? What would that mean for the question of race in, in our community, in a, in a city that has St. Louis's history for absolutely awful race relations? What, what could a group of five, six, seven, eight, nine hundred, a thousand people do if they walked together in godly humility when it came to race relationships in our area? Five, 10, 15 years from now, could there possibly be fewer poor folks in and around Kirkwood and the greater St. Louis area because Green Tree understood the mercy that we've received has made us rich in Christ and God has given us uh, the opportunity to share our resources with others. 5, 10, 15 years from now, could Green Tree Community Church be a genuine beacon of light for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I believe emphatically all those things and much, much more could certainly be true if we understand our need for God's mercy if we avoid the wrong road of self-righteousness and we take the only road, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I believe that if we take that road, a Christ-like humility will create a safe place for broken people to struggle and grow together. And make no mistake about it, when I say broken people, I mean all of us, including me first. We started out by saying, as Jesus' followers, we will only be as healthy as we are humble. I believe that text says exactly that and much, much more. Are we building, are we committed to build a healthy Christ-like community? Do we really want to follow Jesus? Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we do want to follow. I, I, I would imagine the vast majority of folks in this room want to follow you as your disciple. But Lord, as, as you remind us, the flesh is weak, even if the spirit is willing. So Lord, we need your strength. Even to cry out the right prayer, we need the filling of your Holy Spirit. We need your word to abide in our hearts and our minds. Father, make us a people who give mercy because we have begun to understand how much of it we have received. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.